Again, the title of this sermon is At the Well Again. Really believe that's where our church has been. God's asked us to go again to this well, to watch Jesus, to watch his interaction, to watch how he handles the social constructs and dynamics and bigotry and racism and bias that no doubt the culture he was in was experiencing in extreme ways. Jesus goes to the well, says in John chapter 4, verse 1, Soon the news reached the Jewish religious leaders known as the Pharisees that Jesus was drawing greater crowds of followers coming to be baptized than John. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left. He left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. Look at what verse 4, it's, a, it's written actually in, in an imperative form. It says, and he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaritan territory. He had to pass through Samaritan territory. Sufficient to say, there is not a lot of scripture that says much about Jesus having to do anything. But here, it says about Jesus, he had to go through Samaritan territory. Of course, the social significance of this is incredible. The territory known as the Samaritan territory was completely and utterly avoided by the Jewish people in which Jesus is a Jewish male. Furthermore, the Jews believed the Samaritans to be half-breeds. We've talked about this. That was, their word was actually half-breed. That was a term that was used, a derogatory term the Jews would use towards the Samaritans. Um, Jesus has 12 Jewish disciples. It is sufficient to say they don't spend a lot of time in the Samaritan territory. In fact, I could take it a step further. They don't ever spend time in the Samaritan territory. And yet it says about the Jewish Messiah, Jesus himself, he had. It was mandatory. It was imperative that Jesus go to a territory that the Jewish people would not go to. And I wonder if the parallel and the significance can speak to us today in 2020. I wonder if there is a territory we too have to wade into. And I want to talk about that today. Again, the title of our message is At the Well Again. Will you join me in prayer? God, thank you for the minutes and moments we share. You are so gracious. You are so wonderful. We love you. We thank you for your grace, your patience, your care and concern for each and every one of us. I declare a blessing on our community, on our church. God, as thousands of people from all over the world right now, as we've gathered to worship you, may this gathering be about you. And may we get caught up with who you are, your wonder, and your beauty, and your majesty. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I love you, church. Thank you again for joining us uh, to worship with us. These are um, special minutes and moments that we get to share. And I just want to thank you again for your trust in our leadership, your trust in our team and our community. You are Church Home. I'm just going to say it again. Church Home is not a studio. Church Home is not a building. Church Home is not an app. Church Home is not a logo. Uh, church Home is you. We are Church Home. Church Home is a group of people. And I love you. It's my honor to serve as your pastor. I am struck again today with this little verse. Not a long verse. It's a little verse. It simply says, God had to pass through Samaritan 
territory. I'm captured by this. What would God ever have to do? Why would God have to go through this territory? I want to say this about Christianity. I want to say this about what we are here celebrating, the, the practice that we are here not only celebrating but endeavoring to participate in is actually called following Jesus. Many people call it Christianity, they call it evangelicalism, they call it having faith, they call it all kinds of things, but, but quite literally it is to follow Jesus. So we want to follow Jesus wherever Jesus is going. It is in fact exactly like the 12 disciples that are in this story that literally followed Jesus around for three and a half years. They just kind of went to be honest, oftentimes their schedule was not stated or said or printed. Jesus would just say, we're going here, and the guys would just follow. That is what we exist to do at Church Home. We want to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And here, the scripture says, there is a territory he had to go to. And so, I think it's pretty obvious, if this is where Jesus has to go, this is where you and I have to go. That is, if we are endeavoring to actually follow Jesus. Keep in mind, our practice is not one of principle. Our practice is person. So our, our practice, our celebration, our focus, our priority is a person and actually following that person who we truly believe to be alive. He beat death, hell, and the grave. He came back from Roman crucifixion. Nobody did that. He appeared to hundreds of people, levitated in the clouds, promised he would come again, and gave us his spirit form in our life. So we are still following Jesus. So I urge you, church home, as your pastor, let us follow Jesus into an imperative territory. Let us follow Jesus into the territory he had to go. I want to speak to what I believe this territory means for you and for me. Samaria, for instance, ancient Samaria or the ancient Samaritan territory has changed names and changed leadership and changed dynamics and maybe even the topography has changed, quite frankly. But the idea, the what the Samaritan territory represents for you and me is very much still alive and well. I would like to call this territory that Jesus has to go the, the territory of tradition. I want to talk about tradition. I am persuaded that Jesus had to go to the Samaritan territory because there were traditions he had to dismantle. There were traditions he had to eradicate, eliminate, or at the very least, begin the long journey of unpacking the traditions of men that in fact were man-made and did not come from God. Jesus, it becomes very clear, not only does he want to unpack, which is a very nice way of saying it, he opposes these traditions. He is against these traditions. He is not there to celebrate these traditions. He is there to rage against the cultural norms and traditions of men. That Jesus is alive today. And I wonder if there remains a Samaritan territory in your heart or mind. Are there traditions that we have held dear as if they are truth that are keeping us from the fullness of not only what God has for our life, 
but even our neighbors and those around us. So we're going to define the Samaritan territory today as, again, the territory of tradition. And here's what I'm going to do over the next few minutes. And I keep saying this, but this actually might be the shortest sermon of 2020, like my new goals to keep getting up. Um, but I want to be direct and to the point and concise. And I want this to be something that you capture and, and, and that the spirit of Jesus begins to help me with and you with. I want to give you four indications of territory of tradition in your own heart and life. Four indications. Four indications. And I'm going to go over these four and then we'll take just a few minutes on each one. The first indication that you have territory of tradition in your life, that you have spaces and places in your thinking, your soul, your desires, your priorities, your mind, your actual time and energy that we believe are truth, but actually our tradition. Here's four indications of tradition still taking up territory in your life or in my life. Number one, tradition is man-made. It's man-made, which means tradition is, it is served up with the concept of truth. So man-made tradition, which is all around us, man-made tradition, I'm wearing a sport coat is what it's called. This is completely man-made, completely a concept that didn't come from God. Uh, it came from man and, and it's, a, it's a two button sport coat, double-breasted, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a tradition, it's a custom. You, you're looking at this jacket and you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's a suit jacket, what, you know, what's the big deal? It's, it is a uh, custom tradition concept man-made and I'm like oh, I like it I like the design I like the cloth but that's all it is there's nothing in fact sacred or holy about this jacket but of course if I could be bold there was a time in history where wearing a sport coat was almost like truth some of you may find this funny particularly in the day and age we live in but uh, there was a day where unless I was wearing a tie or a jacket um, I was uh, seen as disrespecting the Lord. Um, I needed to wear certain clothes to honor God. That was actually a tradition that came in the form of a truth. So much so, uh, peer pressure began to ensue, and it became, and I, I don't fault my father for wanting to wear suits and ties, and like I said, I'm wearing a sport coat today because I prefer it or I like it, and I don't mind dressing up, but there's... Nowhere in the New Testament, not one time are we told that we need to dress up for God. And yet, that was a tradition passed down. Now, that's just one of many traditions. But I want us to go there. I want us to allow ourselves to explore this territory of tradition. I wonder by the help of God, and God is so gracious, and God is so long-suffering, and God is so kind. I, one of my favorite definitions of the love of God is He is, and the person of God is He's long-suffering. God loves you the long way, and God loves me the long way. God will be patient and gracious, but yet we still have so much tradition. It seems to me that the overwhelming evidence of Scripture is that by the help of God himself, we're able to distinguish and decipher between what is simply tradition and what is truth. 
Recently in a sermon, we talked about how in this very passage in John chapter 4, one of the traditions given to both the Jews and the Samaritans was it mattered what mountain you worshipped on. In other words, it mattered, it mattered where on the piece of geography or land that you actually worshipped. And it wasn't true worship unless you were at the temple or unless you were on this mountain or that mountain. Jesus came. What did he do in this passage? He said, that's not truth. That's tradition. Here's the truth. It's about your heart. It's about your spirit. That's what I'm after. And so to think for a moment, you know, moments like this, you're like, ah, you know, I'm a pretty untraditional, you know, I'm a deconstructed kind of person and it's 2020. But the truth is we are still struggling to decipher and discern oftentimes between man-made tradition and God-ordained truth. And I would like to add that much of the friction, frustration, and agitation that many of us are experiencing right now in this unprecedented moment in the United States history is actually oftentimes has next to nothing to do with God's truth and sometimes almost entirely to do with customs and traditions that were completely made up by human beings. And Jesus questions that, rages against that, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. The second indication of a territory of tradition in your life is we kind of gravitate towards what we say over what we actually do. So we use words over actions. One of the ways you know that tradition, you're, you're trending a little more in the tradition, the man-made tradition as opposed to God's truth, is that oftentimes we'll just use words. We don't actually, um, there's no integration. I mean, people are talking about reconciliation. Certainly the Bible talks about the ministry of reconciliation, but what we need in this country, just to be clear, is what is called integration, which means the goal of this country, according to scripture for any country, is not to say, hey, I love everybody. It's that a lifestyle of integration would be a part of your daily life and mine. That we would learn to move towards one, another, one another's pain. That we would learn to live a day, a week, a year in one another's shoes. That, that they and them would be eliminated from our vocabulary. And they and them would become me and us. Integration. But one of the things traditions does, traditions oftentimes are very polarizing, and we focus on semantics and words, and we de-emphasize lifestyle and action. Truth always leads to lifestyle and action. That's how you know truth is functioning in your life. The third indication is, frankly, it leads to just an opinionated way of living. Here's what traditions do. They lead to being opinionated. We become very opinionated. And if I could suggest this to you, and I'm going to show you in Scripture, we are living in the most opinionated age in human history. You say, Judah, how do you know that? I don't actually know that for a fact. It just feels like that. I don't know if you feel like that. It's like, wow. Not only are we the most opinionated, we are now fighting for our opinions, which ironically are often connected to man-made concepts about people groups, about clothes, about church location. 
I don't, I'm not making light of this, but do you know that there are people right now very concerned about your pastor? And one of their concerns about me is that we are suggesting that church is not about your location. It's about Jesus' mission and your heart. That you can stay in your pajamas, worship God, love your neighbor, and live as a missionary. I'm actually even arguing, arguing, I should say, I'm simply suggesting in the ecosystem that is the church that maybe that'll actually help us be more authentic, more genuine, and actually love our neighbors and connect with what people and, and live out a lifestyle of Jesus. But oftentimes, tradition makes us very opinionated. Now, the last indication, which is the most difficult, and we'll end there in a few minutes, we'll go back over these, is the Bible says in, in Mark chapter 7, and we'll read it in a moment, that the, war, that the, the traditions of men make God's story void or nullify or you can't see it. Probably the clearest indication that you have territory in your soul that is habitated by the traditions of men is that you emphasize laws and principles from the story of God and not the person. And that's why we become opinionated because it's not a person that we're following. It's ideals and concepts that we hold that oftentimes lead us in our human nature to feel we're better than others. That is what I like to define as the territory of tradition. Man-made, man-made concepts cloaked in the concept of truth, words over actions, opinionated, and emphasizing principles and laws over a person. I wanna talk about this. Now, I understand that this is not one of those sermons where you're like, Woo, man, Judah, that was great. I feel like I can change the world and God loves me. Oh, he loves you so much. And can we just, before we go any further, when it says that God had to pass through Samaritan territory, Jesus had to pass. The begging question is what? Why? Love, love, love. We are talking about territory of tradition that all of us have in our heart, our mind, and our thinking and the reason we have to go there is love, love, love. So that we can know the love of God. So we can love Him. So we can learn to love our neighbor. We have got to deconstruct the colluded cultural concepts of Jesus and His Scripture. We have got to allow Jesus to go to territories of tradition in our life. First of all, like we said, one of, the, one of the telling signs of traditional territory in our life is we actually begin to protect. We actually begin to speak of customs and traditions of men as if they are truth. I'll give you another one. Uh, hats in church. Hats in church. There was a cultural time where Paul would talk about head coverings and all of that is clearly in the interpretation of the New Testament. Paul is simply making a cultural observation. There is nowhere in this book that it says you can't worship God with a hat on, but I'm 41, which means I'm old enough to know. Do you know 
that there are conferences, conventions, churches, and services I've been to where I have been asked. Fact, there was a few places I would not be allowed to speak if I was wearing a baseball cap or a beanie. My brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to, I know I have a little smile on my face and you're like, Judah, there's still people who believe that. There is, you just need to know that's not truth. That's a tradition. That's a tradition. Okay, uh, here's another fun one. We're, we're, we're just throwing out some of the fun light traditions because there's some really heavy ones that we're facing right now as a nation. So just bear with me. Uh, here's another one. Um, you, uh, nicotine and alcohol. If you participate in either one of those, you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. Um, that's not in here either. It's not in here. Right? I mean, that's, but yet, I grew up, and I know, again, forgive me for the smile on my face, but friends, things are so serious, sometimes you got to laugh. Growing up, I'm just going to be honest with you, as a kid, when I saw someone smoking, I knew they weren't a Christian. I'm being so serious with you. I mean, you want me to take it a step further? I would see people walking into a rated R movie, and I knew they weren't Christian. Just being honest with you, I just knew. You can't watch a rated R movie and be a Christian. You can't. You can't smoke and be a Christian. You can't drink it. Now, some of you are going, oh my gosh, Judah, get on with the real message here. And, and then there's other people watching this going, oh, I still kind of believe that. Thanks for being honest. It's called the traditions of men, completely man-made. Now, you want to talk about whether or not nicotine helps your physical body. Listen, we can have that conversation. We can talk about bodily exercises of some game, Paul says. I, I would urge you to go easy on the alcohol and go light on the nicotine for your own cells, body, makeup. We want you to live a long time. This world needs you. But there's no teaching. It says that your body is the temple of God. It says don't abuse your body. Be good to your body. But there's So that became a tradition. So I'm going to be bold. There was a time in this nation's history. I won't start calling out names. You can do your own church history. There are men and women we still celebrate today in the church. In fact, there are some historical accounts of men and women who were preachers, teachers, just like what I'm doing right now, who at first condemned the concept of owning other human beings for, if I could say it, obvious reasons. As time went on, some of these men and women changed that idea. And the reason for that is, well, it was situational theology. Suddenly it was like, well, I kind of would like the convenience of, and what I'm saying actually happened, friends. Christian preachers, I'm going to take it a step further. There are commentaries on the shelves of preachers just like me. And those commentaries were written by men who owned other human beings. I'll take it a step further. Peter walked on water. Peter worked miracles. Peter was a leader of leaders. Peter was racist. So these traditions are not just about what you wear to church or whether or not you dip. Mean tobacco. It 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 gets it's difficult, doesn't it? 
because somewhere along the line, 400 years of history in this nation, we have record, we have historical records of God-worshipping Christians who enslaved other human beings. Ah, Judah, I'm, I, I, you know, I, 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 I condemn that. Appreciate that, as you should. We should do a lot more than condemn. And yet, let us fast forward to our time in history. Our time in history. What are the traditions that remain? What are traditions that were passed down to you? It was not long ago. My, my, my father was 16 years old when the desegregation of this country began. My father, my brothers and sisters, we are a man-made nation that is very young and it is very real. Very recently, there have been laws in this land and there remain laws that need to be removed, undone, and new ones need to be put in. And you say, Judah, that's not for you to speak of. We're talking about the traditions of men. We, this country, and I believe God is providential over this country as he is every country, was made by man. The laws and rules were made by man, and many of those laws and rules are wrong. Some are not. There's a lot of wonderful aspects. I think you'd agree about this place called the USA. But suddenly and recently, it has become unbiblical and unchristian to question their traditions and customs of a man-made country. This is a problem. And I'm going to be the pastor that tells you that. My citizenship, according to the teachings of the New Testament, is first and truly the kingdom of heaven, is what the Bible calls it. I'm actually not first American. I am first a part of the family of God, which is made up of one race, the human race, and no longer in the likeness of Adam, but in the new Adam, Jesus. So, these traditions of men must be spoken of from those who study and explain this book. We must draw a distinction. This is about theology. Many are thinking right now, here goes Judah, he's gonna get political. You know what, let me say it like this. The policies of this country, many claim, are from scripture. Thank you for saying that. So I would like again to go back to scripture and question the policies that were put in place based on this book. Because I see it different, and I hope you do too. And one of the reasons we find ourselves in some of the places with systems built this way that need to be broken and reformed and rebuilt is because we have a theology problem. Not a policy problem. It's first a theology problem. And then we will continue to pray, elect, vote, for policymakers that will reflect as close as possible the scriptures. But I understand that this is a man-made institution. It's an experiment called the United States of America. This is eternal, and my citizenship starts here.
So that's my heart and that's where I'm coming from. Number two, and I'd like to read this to you. If you go to Mark chapter 7, verse 13, we're talking about the territory of tradition. We have to go there. You hear me? We have to go there. We have to follow Jesus into our traditions. And I'm going to say it, question all of them. Question all of them. It says this, do you really think God will honor your traditions passed down to others? Making up these rules that nullify God's word and you're doing many other things. Pass down the traditions of men. I want to back up and go to verse 11, Mark 7 and verse 11. Listen to what Jesus says. Your man, your man made up rules allow a person to say to his parents, I've decided to take the support you were counting on from me and make it my holy offering. Going on to God and that will be your blessing. Said, How convenient. The rules you teach, words of Jesus, teach you, exempt you from providing for your aged parents. Do you really think, going on, here's what was happening when Jesus was talking here in Mark 7. There was a law given by Moses and that law simply stated that you would take care of your aging parents. Here's what was happening in Jesus' day. Instead of actually taking care of your aging parents, a tradition was made up. In other words, a group of men read that law and said, hey, um, eh, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of action. That's a lot of effort. What we'll do, my brothers and sisters, it was done thousands of years ago. It's still done today. What we'll say, and this actually happened, all you had to say was the word Corbin. And when you said Corbin, over your money. It's kind of like reading a bank statement and saying, Corbin. And Corbin was gift from God. Which, and then what would happen is these Jewish men and women or Samaritan men would tell their parents, uh, I said Corbin over my money. So all the money I would give to you to support, I just offer it to God. The whole thing was a farce. It was just a way to actually not take care of your mom and dad. You know what it was? It was a tradition that, guess what? It nullified, voided, and scratched out the heart and spirit of God, which is to honor your mother and your father. But what was it? A tradition that said, I'll just say a word, and you don't have to do the action. That's what tradition is. Say the word, and I'm going to take it a step further. Make a policy. Make a law but don't actually have a heart for it or want to live it out. Laws need to change. Policies need to change. But let me be clear. Hearts need to change. And only truth does that. Traditions do not change. Customs do not change the heart of man. It has been said by Dr. King and many others, you cannot legislate the heart of a man. You cannot. So, though I celebrate adjusting man-made laws that are completely flawed, make no mistake, it is only truth that can change the heart of man. Third indication, which we talked about, it leads to this opinionated lifestyle. I wish I had more time because I would take it, but I'm going to be respectful of your time. I am very, very concerned as your pastor over the increasing norm of opinionated Jesus followers. We have become overwhelmingly in love with our opinions. We have. We have colluded with the culture, the culture of this country, 
particularly the rise of social media and technology, has led us to believe that everyone, everyone should listen to my opinion. I love what one preacher said. He said, everyone's entitled to opinion. Everyone is not entitled to listen to your opinion. Opinions do not change hearts. Opinions do not heal people. Opinions almost always are about the person giving them. They are typically, being very honest, a very selfish social act. Here's my opinion. And before we know it, we defend our opinion as if it's the truth of the everlasting God. What's extraordinary, just let this sink in for a moment. Jesus listened to people. Just, just let that just, I'm just going to we'll back up a little bit. I'm just going to put that out there just for a second. I just want our church to kind of soak in that for a second. Jesus listened to people. I'll say it even. God listened to people. <laughs> let me tell you, if I was God, and everybody say, thank God you're not. If I was God, why would I listen to anyone? Why would I listen? So does God listen to learn or does God listen to love? Now, God doesn't need to learn anything. So God listens primarily to love. But here's what we've done. We only listen when we feel like we need to learn. That's the wrong premise to listen. That's why you don't listen and I don't listen very much. It's our natural. Am I the only one that in my marriage, my wife will be talking about it and she'll be like, can, can you let me finish my thought? You've been there. Come on, Chelsea. I know you can hear me, right? It's like, you know, and she's like, babe, just yesterday we were talking and she goes, I lost my train of thought. You interrupted me again, right? Because my nature isn't, listen, particularly if Chelsea starts telling me something I know. Are you like me? I know. I know. That's like a normal phrase in our culture. I know. Have you ever done this? Have you ever said, I know, when you don't know? You just said, I know, because that's what we do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You know what we need amongst Jesus followers right now? Something like this. Why? I don't know. Can you help me now? But we think listening should be a practice of those who need to learn. I'd like to suggest that we listen like God. He listened because of love. Because of love. So how about we trade the opinionated approach of our culture, which is based on traditions and concepts that are man-made, and we trade it in for trusting God and His truth, and instead of being opinionated, we become listeners. And when they ask us why we're listening, oh, we have much to learn. We have so much to learn. Being a, a white man and a white pastor of a church that I hope will look like heaven. I have so much to learn about other cultures in the middle of what we're facing right now. So much to learn about black history in this country, let alone from Africa, continents and countries around the world. We have much to learn, but I don't need to listen only when I need to learn. I can listen anytime because I love. And lastly, and I'm, I'm done, and I appreciate you hearing my heart. This is a territory, again, don't blame me, this is a territory Jesus had to go through. 
did he need to go through the territory? Or did the disciples need to go to the territory? Did the Samaritans need him go to the territory? Lastly, one of the telling signs of the traditions of men that have made God's story and who he is null and void is when we grasp onto traditions and customs as if they are the truth of the everlasting God. We typically do not emphasize Jesus. And I'm going to put this in front of you for your own personal consideration and prayerful contemplation. We are here only for persons. We're here, number one, for the person of Jesus. And we're here, number two, for a person called our neighbor. That's the number one, those are, that, that those are the top two reasons we gather. To think about the person of Jesus and think about the person that is our neighbor. And you know, by doing that, the Ten Commandments became two. Jesus, by his Spirit, enables us to do this, that we would love God and love our neighbor. Here's the problem with focusing on principles and not a person. Principles are not alive and they won't talk back. That's what's convenient. Well, you know, the Word of God says. I don't know how, I think I'm getting bolder and bolder in my older age, but I appreciate everyone quoting Solomon and the Proverbs. I appreciate everyone quoting Abraham. I appreciate everyone quoting Sarah and Esther and Ruth and Boaz and Mephibosheth and King David. But um, this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. So the contents of my practice, my practice of faith called Christianity, is not... Um, well, you know, Proverbs says that, so, I, you know, in my business or in my home, we're going to, we're committed to the principle of faithfulness. Absolutely. I think faithfulness is great. We, we are committed to integrity. You know what we need? We need integrity. What we need is Jesus. I know people with integrity that don't have Jesus. I know people that are faithful that don't have Jesus. The emphasis of church home is not faithfulness, it's not morality, it's not integrity, it's not tithing. All of these things are wonderful. But do you know how we practice these things? Not by focusing on principles, but by a person. And here's what the person of Jesus does in the believer's life. He goes... Yeah, no, 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 that's not me, son. I want you to let that go. But God, no, 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 that, my grandfather was a pastor. He taught me, I love him. He was wrong. Now, let me show you this. I, I want to say something again that I haven't said in a while. When you read this book, Ask the author to read it with you and show you things you've never seen before about him. 
and everything will change in your life. What we do is called proof texting. We get a notion and then we go here to prove it. That almost always leads to error. We're supposed to go to this book and let it read us. And we're supposed to read about a person. And that person is alive. He's not dead. This is not a history book. It's got history in it. But this is a love story about you and God. It's a love story. And you're supposed to fall in love with the focal point of the story. And then he lives inside of you. And then he guides you. And he takes you into places like uh, the territory of tradition. And he says, son, I'm going to let that go. And it may sound silly to you, but there was a time God was like, stop talking about clothes. Stop talking about tobacco or alcohol or movies. I grew up, I heard so many preachers condemn certain movies and I don't think everything is beneficial. I don't think you should watch every movie, but boy, that's not the point, is it? At all. It's not the point. That's a tradition. That's a custom. The point is Jesus. It's Jesus. I want to read this scripture in conclusion, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, and I promise I'm, I'm coming to a close. This is not the shortest sermon of 2020, but it's a good one. Listen to the words of the scripture. Beware, church home, that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness. That's a person. By pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. Endless arguments of human logic, for they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of the world system. I love this part. And not the anointed truths of the anointed one. The anointed truths of the anointed one. Well, Judah, that's a great scripture. How do we know if it's mindsets from the world system or it's anointed truth from the anointed one. I appreciate the scripture, but that's really hard to tell. It's not. I end with this and I submit this for your consideration, church. I love you so much. You're the most extraordinary people in the world if you're asking me. And I love you. And I know we are passionate about pursuing Jesus. So I'd like to leave you with the number one indication that anointed truth by the anointed one is functioning in your life. Do you know the biblical criteria? Do you know the New Testament criteria of whether or not you have given yourself over to truth or given yourself over to tradition? Here it is. It's not complicated and you can argue it, but you're wrong and I'm right. This is Bible. Do you know what it is? And they will know we are followers of Jesus by our political affiliate. Oh, no. They will know that the truth of Jesus is in us by our 
opinions. No, no, that's not what it says. They'll know we are godly moral people by the policies and issues we stand for. Definitely not. What? They'll know we are Christians. The world will know. The unbelieving people who are watching those who claim to know God, they'll know that we're different because we don't do bad things. No, that's not it either. They'll know we are Christians because we post good stuff on social media. Come on, you know what I'm doing. Back, okay, Judy, get to the point. There's only one, love. I'll take it a step further. The Bible actually says, I'll give you the scripture reference in the days to come. How can you say you love God that you can't see when you don't love your neighbor that you can see? So, I submit, putting this table right here, for your consideration, that the surest way to know that we are more loyal and committed to the truth of Jesus than the traditions of men is love. That's it. Please debate me. That's all it is. Love. Not by what we wear. Not by what we say. Just love. And I wish, I wish I could just say whether or not you love God. Wouldn't it be convenient to be like, I do, Judah, I love God. But the Bible says that the litmus test for whether or not you love God is, or I should say that I love God, is do I love my neighbor? And the next sermon I'm going to preach is I'm going to, I'm going to show you the response of Jesus because Jesus said, love your neighbor. And people said this to Jesus. Who's my neighbor? One specific guy said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes, let me tell you a story. So we're going to cover that story. Because we have got to allow the person of Jesus to move us into this territory of tradition. Dismantle it. Bring us back to him. And the Bible says the way you'll know this is happening in your life is you will love your neighbor like you have never loved before. That's how they'll know. May this be a community. May this be a church of love, not tradition. Jesus, I thank you for the minutes and moments we share. Thank you for your grace and your love. God, these are not small and little constructs that we are talking about. So we need stamina and strength and endurance and grace and humility to walk with you into a territory we would rather avoid. Help us to go all the way to sit with you at this well 
and allow you to remove the traditions of men that have clouded our ability to be in love with you, Jesus. Not our morals, our principles, but you. And by falling deeper and deeper in love with you, may we fall deeper and deeper in love with our neighbor, humanity. Thank you for that. If you're here today, you said, Jude, I'd like to become a follower of Jesus. It only comes by free gift. You can't earn it or deserve it, you just receive it. If you'd like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. One, two, three. God, I thank you, you see these hands and you see these hearts, and I thank you we are forgiven forever because of the free gift. You became sin so that we could become right with you forever. We thank you for that. Now, God, I can only imagine the conversations we're gonna have within community over a study of scripture like this. Give us patience, give us endurance, grant us humility and grace for ourselves and for one another. In Jesus' name.